0: Hello everybody, Mitch Michaels here, it's time for another edition of the Money Mitch Effect. Today's show on December 27, 2017 will be, as advertised, a Spectacular One. And I want to wish everyone a happy holiday season, whether it was Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, whatever you celebrated. I hope the time with your loved ones was great and very, very nice to have some time off. And with that, the sports doesn't stop. Today's show will feature NFL Week 16 recap with Joe Casale of NFL Network as we break down the playoff picture and some terrible injuries to Marcus Mariota and Derek Carr. And then I'm going to talk to Jose Young, my resident UFC expert, UFC 207, the pay-per-view is going to take place this Friday, Ronda Rousey's return to the Octagon, a lot more to discuss including what's on tap for Conor McGregor in 2017, you're not going to want to miss what Jose has to say about mixed martial arts. It's the Money Mitch Effect, Christmas season's still going strong, and it starts next. All right, now it's time to recap Week 16 in the NFL on the Money Mitch Effect. And with that, we welcome back to the show recurring guest, Joe Cusali. Joe, welcome back to the show. What's up? Happy to be here. Right. We're Skyping this call on a Monday, a uh, day after Christmas. Monday Night Football about to get going. Uh, I appreciate Joe coming on the show. We're going to start. It was doom and gloom for a lot of teams and a lot of players this past Sunday, Joe. But we're going to start with a positive, and that's history not being made there will not be an 0-16 team this year. Browns beat the Chargers, and uh, yeah, I'm pretty excited about that one. I don't know how you feel, but it got me in the mood for Christmas.
1: Uh, Browns getting their, <laughs> their uh, first win was pretty insane. The office erupted. Everyone is pretty pumped to see the team win. That Lions team is very, very happy that they got to keep their 0-16 record
0: intact. You know, I'm just from a Browns fan perspective. I think we were just, you know, we didn't want to tarnish the legacies of John Kitna and Dan Orlovsky. You know that legendary team. Why would we ever try to compete (laughs) with with that? But in all seriousness, the Browns knew this was it. This was their last chance because they're probably even with Pittsburgh resting. They're probably not beating Pittsburgh next week. They threw the kitchen sink at the Chargers, and it kind of says more about the Chargers, if anything, Joe, the team that had some good players, some promise, just fell apart down the stretch, and I think it starts with what Phillip Rivers is playing, arguably the worst football of his career, had another couple of turnovers yesterday, and the Browns were able to just come up with the win.
1: I like what Hugh Jackson said after that. He was like, you know, this could be a start of something really great. <laughs> you beat a you beat <laughs> <the> garbage <laughs> Chargers team, and you, your quarterback got hurt, and your team has glaring holes in every position, so... Yeah. I don't know exactly where you see that start. Hey, I'm excited. But, hey, they could beat the Steelers next week. Steelers are probably going to best Big Ben and Brown, maybe even Bell. So they're going to be going against Landry Jones and D'Angelo Williams, so they might have a shot.
0: Maybe. Oh, I wouldn't hold my breath there. And I do, I'm do. I'm i intrigued to see what kind of dangerous, exotic adventure Hugh Jackson's ready to take this now 1-14 team on. It's, it's a it's glorious 1-14. <laughs> glorious, too. And, and it wouldn't have been a Browns game without RG3 getting injured. So... I'm glad he kept yeah. it consistent with that. Yeah, stay true. Stay true to it. Well, the Browns were 1-14. We'll move on to the more important games, but I just had to get that in there. And one of the games that actually took place on Christmas, Joe, one of the best games I'd seen in a very long time. This NFL season's been full of a lot of poor football, but Steelers-Ravens was pretty dynamic, and Pittsburgh got the win 31-27 in at the, at the final 10 seconds with Antonio Brown reaching across the goal line. It's up there for me in one of the best games, and it showed me why Pittsburgh is as dangerous and as well-respected as they are, Joe, because when their offense is on, they can score at any times of the game, and they are feared by absolutely everyone.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That game was so back and forth at the beginning of the game. Steve Smith scored a touchdown. You got the uh, Big Ben throwing a touchdown to what's-his-face, Xavier Grimble. Mm-hmm. That was to open the game. There's just so back and forth. And then towards the end, you just had the lead, and then Juszczyk just plow trucks over that guy. <laughs> Yeah. gets in the end zone, and then there's a minute left or a little over a minute left, two minutes or whatever, and everyone's thinking, oh, my God, is that too much time for for Big Ben to come back? Is that enough time? And they just drive right down the field, and you got to know if you're the Ravens that they're going to throw it to Brown, and they did. That was so crazy, that game.
0: If he doesn't reach across the goal line, it probably ends, right? I mean, there was no timeouts left. They're stopped. I don't think they get another snap off.
1: Yeah, no, and also on the play, too, there's uh, no face mask call on that. <laughs> the guy, was, Eric Weddle, had his fist inside yeah. Antonio Brown's helmet. Little, pulling it in the other direction to try and get him out of the end zone.
0: It's a little shocking to see big players making big plays. And for Baltimore, now out of the playoff picture, getting eliminated in dramatic fashion. It To me, this game was a microcosm of their season because for about five minutes in to about five minutes left in every game, they were as good as anybody. But they had trouble starting a couple of these games and finishing a bunch of them. The losing streak in the middle of the season and then this one. Just not enough, whether it's skill, whether it's mental toughness, but they weren't able to finish a lot of these games. And as the margin is very thin in the NFL, they're on the outside of the playoff picture now.
1: Yeah, that's
0: just how it goes in the NFL.
1: You can't execute, start games, or finish them. That's, that's what happens, especially when you're facing a team as good as the Steelers. The only thing the Steelers need to improve on, I'd say, for the playoffs is their defense, but their offense is just so lethal that they can hang with anybody.
0: Yeah, and especially with the current climate right now of, I'd say, quarterbacks that are going to be starting AFC playoff games, I think you yeah, got to oh like your chances heck. if you're Pittsburgh. We're going to
1: have a Matt Moore versus Tom
2: Savage
0: game wow. at one point, maybe. <laughs> I can't wait for that. I can't wait for Matt Moore versus Tom Savage for the right to play Matt McGoyne. That's just what I think about <laughs> when I think about playoff football as those three guys.
1: That would be incredible. Well, Except it would also be <laughs> horrible to watch.
0: Oh, uh, yeah. It would be, it would be uh, like torture for, for a lot of true football fans. But we'll get through it with Joe Casale on the Money Mitch Effect. The sad part of Saturday, Christmas Eve, which was the day they had the full slate of games, Joe was the injuries to two of the most promising young quarterbacks in the NFL, Marcus Mariota and and Derek Carr, both leaving the games with injuries. Both had broken-slash-fractured fibulas. In Mariota's case, it was much worse. But for Carr and the Raiders, viewed as equally bad because that was their playoff hopes pretty much in a nutshell. It's one thing to see anybody get injured, Joe, but to have it be these guys, these important young faces on teams that had and still do have playoff aspirations in some cases... I think it's just backbreaking, and it was probably the worst thing that could have happened.
2: It's
1: definitely the worst thing that could happen, especially for the Raiders. <laughs> like you're in second place in the conference, you're riding high into the playoffs, and all of a sudden your star quarterback just goes down with a broken leg. Like that's the worst-case scenario. And then you got Mariota. They were fighting for a playoff spot. Had they won, they would go into this final week 17 against the Texans, battling for the division. But we all much would have rather seen Marcus Mariota in the playoffs than Tom Savage, but yeah. that's neither here nor there. But um, as far as the Raiders, the part that annoys me the most is that you're gonna have to listen to Raiders fans say, "Oh, well, we we would have been won the Super Bowl had we had Derek Carr." There's always gonna be that "What if Derek yeah. Carr was there?" What how good would they have been? I personally think they would have been a one and done team.
2: Mm.
1: I think they're going to be a one and done team if they even win a game with Matt McQuay in the playoffs, depending on who they play, but. I guess we'll just,
0: we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, I think I think you have a couple people in mind. I, th- I can envision a couple Raiders fans in particular saying those exact same things. But I do agree with you. I think the Raiders, it, it just shows you how important that quarterback position is in the NFL. They go from being the two seed in the playoffs on track to be the two seed. Everything's going well. Things are looking good. To now, we look at them as having pretty much no chance to win the Super Bowl. And that's no how quick can't. it changes. They and, make
1: too many mistakes. They got no quarterback. I mean, not everyone can be Trent Dilfer. Is there going to be a Trent Dilfer in this class scenario with these back quarterbacks? I It's highly unlikely when you got Brady in there. Yeah. The dominant Chiefs offense looking good. Yeah. And big bad.
0: I just want to see the Titans get a little, you know, I want to see Mariota and I want to see Carr, respectively, get healthy and build upon how well they've been playing next year. But unfortunately, this year looks to be. A wash for those teams. Now, in Oakland's case, they're not a lock to even get that two C. They have to win next week against Denver. The Kansas City Chiefs eliminate the Denver Broncos last night. Joe, your Denver Broncos, unfortunately, are not going to be going to the playoffs. They lose the Chiefs, thirty-three to ten. Denver, man, I want to start on their side first, Joe. They, I don't know what it was the last couple weeks of the season, but the wheels on the bus just fell off. Like for whatever reason. This team that was brimming with confidence has looked like a shell of themselves in the last couple weeks of the season. What do you think the one thing that you could point to and be like, this is why they haven't made the playoffs, is this year?
1: If you're looking at positions, offensive line, yeah. <laughs> if you're just thinking about it, they just didn't have it. I mean, the defense wasn't there. They were missing Brandon Marshall, their anchor, linebacker, and TJ Ward didn't play in the last game, and Kansas City had a great offensive game plan. They pretty much eliminated Harrison to keep Tlaib and Bradley Roby right off the bat, and uh, Travis Kelsey just tore them apart. But you can't blame Trevor Siemian. You can't blame Kubiak. I mean, they, they all did everything that they could possibly do. The Broncos—they had no offensive line, no running game. Their defense didn't play well. Von Miller even made some mistakes, and it was just a complete disaster. And they—they they couldn't stop. They couldn't stop anybody. If, if Travis Kelsey, a tight end, is outrunning your number one corner on an 80-yard touchdown, you probably should reassess where you are. Yeah, yeah, I, and, and yeah,
0: I agree with you on that. I think everybody presses. you know, Some of the last issues you, you listed, when things go wrong, Von Miller to leave, those guys will press and they won't look as efficient. It starts with the line and the running game. It starts with looking at those positions and, and saying, C.J. Anderson, one yeah. of the most underrated injuries of the season. Everyone thought you could just plug a yeah. running back into a Kubiak system and it yeah. would work. It didn't work that everyone
1: way. expected Devontae Booker to go in there and just
0: be a great
1: running back, but it didn't work out because I mean you can't depend on a rookie like that, not everyone can be Ezekiel Elliott. I mean, now Justin Forsett in there and that's he's not doing anything, but you can't blame them. Also, they got nowhere to run. The offensive line is terrible. They got O'Coon, Stevenson, Garcia and Schofield. They all well, should not be, able to be here. So. <laughs> yeah,
0: and it was their strength just a year ago, which is funny how things work that way.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it goes through the run, and when you don't have a good running game, where do you go? And then you got Trevor Simeon, who this is his first year first year playing, so you can't really expect him to be the next Peyton Manning, but when you have no running game, that's what happens. And like you said, the C.J. Anderson injury really hit hard, and people didn't realize that.
0: Yeah, when you look at the Chiefs, too, they kept the ball in between the tackles pretty well, in the middle of the field, I should say, using Kelsey, using Tyreek Hill out of the backfield getting him in space so the corners couldn't necessarily lock anyone down. You mentioned all these teams with bad quarterbacks in the AFC. The Chiefs and Alex Smith are one of the top options to make a run based on that position and based on how well they're playing defensively now.
1: Yeah, the way, the way it's shaping up to me, the way it's looking, Chiefs have good off their offense is clean, and they have a great defense. You could be looking at Chiefs-Patriots as far as the title game there for the AFC.
0: It could. And if it is, you know, we look at Chiefs, if they don't get the 2 seed or if they do, there's a couple matchups in this playoffs I'm excited to see. The Chiefs matching up with the Steelers or even a Patriots team, Joe. With that secondary, I think that's the only way you can slow those teams down, and I really like what I see out of Barry and Marcus Peters.
1: Yeah, absolutely. If you're looking at Steelers-Chiefs and you're just comparing those two teams, the way the Chiefs' offense is clicking, their offense is almost as good as Dealers' offense, but I mean, they just dealers have so many more weapons. But as far as the defense side of the ball goes, Dealers' defense is, is just not good, and the Chiefs have a dominating defense. So, like they always say, defense wins championships. And if you have a good enough offense to win games like the Chiefs do, they're, they're uh, looking pretty dangerous.
0: So, now with Joe eye and the Money Mitch effect, I want to go to the NFC and play a game that's still impossible to predict called Who's the number two seed going to be? I don't know if anybody wants it now. I thought Seattle did going into this week when they had to beat the Cardinals and 49ers to clinch it, but you know they, they felt other things were more pressing, I feel like. The Seahawks now, Joe, they can't beat Arizona at home. It was an odd game, to say the least. And the Falcons, with the win over Carolina, are sitting in the driver's seat at the two-seed. It's hard to believe. It's hard to say without laughing. But how do we look at both of these two teams and who ultimately gets that number two record? Come playoff time. Who knows? <laughs> That's I mean, the best way to put the, it. What,
1: the, the Lions and the Packers are fighting first spot. Who knows? One of them could even take the two seed if the Falcons lose next week or if the Seahawks lose next week. It's all—it's completely up for
0: grabs. Yeah, I thought in the Seahawks game, I thought Seattle came out and took Arizona lightly. I think they just assumed that they would roll over them because Arizona was out of the playoffs and has had a down year. Arizona clearly got up for that divisional game. Then at the tail end of that game, Bruce Arians decided that he was going to coach for exactly three quarters in about nine minutes with some of the play calls that he decided to make. Seattle showed their great heart and resilience, getting back in it. But defensively, I mean, they have to. I know they missed the PAT that would have put them in the lead, but how shanked one! But you look at that team, Joe. That's built on defense, and all they had to do was keep Arizona from scoring, and they couldn't do it when the game was on the line. Very shocking, startling to see. Yeah,
1: you know, we got to think too. they uh Main man on defense, Earl Thomas is out, and it yeah. makes a huge difference. We've seen it before when he missed games earlier this season; they were not playing well on defense, and it's happening again right now.
0: How many? And, in- yeah. How many injuries can this team take now? Lockett's down. I mean, they are just yeah. getting ravaged on both sides of the ball.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Russell Wilson can't do it all, can he?
0: <laughs> no, he almost did in the final at the final minutes of that game. Him, Jimmy Graham, and Doug Baldwin, who. You know, I don't know. They don't do you know, the most improved player award in the NBA would be perfect for Doug Baldwin because he just keeps getting better every week. But Atlanta's a team, though, Joe, that I was buying what they were selling. And I'm glad that they got the game now on Seattle because they were probably going to miss out on the two seed based on the uh, non call of Julio Jones, Richard Sherman in Seattle a couple months mm-hmm. ago. But now Seattle gets the break, they beat Carolina. The the Falcons defensively, I think we have our questions, but offensively, with the two running backs they have, with Julio back healthy, pretty scary in a wide open NFC. Yeah,
1: I mean it all just depends on how their defense plays, and if Matt Ryan can just continue to not turn the ball over. But we haven't seen the Falcons in the playoffs in a while, so who knows how that's gonna go.
0: I thought the Carolina game was interesting. I know Carolina is done, and they've you know they looked good against the Redskins as a spoiler, but they're out of the playoff picture. But it was revealing to me seeing them balance their offensive attack. It wasn't just Ryan throwing the ball out all over the place. And it was a defense that, while not great, looked looked pretty solid. I think Atlanta could be a sleeper in this NFC playoff picture.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You could see the Falcons making a move, but I don't I don't see them overtaking anybody else in the NFC. Well, it's they, too it's yeah. too finicky in the NFC mm-hmm. compared to the AFC. I mean look at the Cowboys, they're just so dominant. But can two rookies really take a most popular team to the Super Bowl? I don't
0: know. That's a question we're going to have to ask ourselves. It makes it unpredictable. The resounding favorites are Dallas, but those rookies are in prominent positions, and we haven't really seen two rookies go all the way. The team that probably suffered the most, I think the biggest letdown in a week of letdowns, Joe, was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who lose a game to the Saints. That's probably going to knock them out of the playoff picture now. 31-24, they lose. Tampa Bay, with all this momentum riding high, lose a close one in Dallas, and then drop this game to the Saints, Joe. Was Tampa Bay overrated?
1: I think they're they're a good team. They just, like you said, they pretty much cemented themselves out of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. They need a lot of help to get in, which probably isn't going to happen. All they had to do was beat the Saints on the road. I think you kind of can put the blame on Dirk Cutter, the coach, for deciding to just cause problems for no reason, benching Doug Martin, just because he felt like he wasn't good enough.
0: Yeah, honestly. And that was just
1: Weird. causing some com- concerns in the locker room, I'm sure. And Jameis just didn't, he didn't turn up when they needed him. And he's been there all season for the most part, but he threw those two picks at the end of the game and it just didn't turn out the way they wanted it. I mean, the Saints haven't been good all season, but we've seen it from them before being spoilers towards the end of the year. But um, for Bucks fans out there... There was all the hype surrounding them getting to the playoffs after after getting in that primetime game against the, against the Cowboys and almost beating them. But they lose those two games in a row, and here
0: they are. I always thought the Saints could be a spoiler down the road, and, and I think they're they're proving it now with some, the way their offense moves the ball. I don't get the Doug Martin timing. It's just weird that you do it Week 16 when you're on the verge of making a playoff push. As you said, the locker room isn't going to like that one bit. This was just a classic Bucs game where... The defense in the third quarter just couldn't keep the Saints. The Bucs kept rallying. They scored those two touchdowns, but the Saints kept answering them. And then from there, it's Jameis Winston. Love his intangibles. Love his heart. Love his, how strong his arm is. But he presses a lot. He forces throws, and they had no margin for error at that time. You know, Now that was the case when he just turned the ball over and cost his team a chance. Now I think the Bucs are a young team that are going to continue to grow. Next year is the year that I think they do make that leap. I wasn't quite ready for them to do that just yet, but I think Tampa Bay kind of overachieved early. And, hey, look, Joe, for the Saints, I think Sean Payton, the best thing he did this game was improve his trade value when the Rams trade for him next, year, next week.
1: Yeah, he's I uh, – I don't know why any other team would want him. I and mean, if you're the Rams, I guess your whole your whole organization is a dumpster fire as it is. So if you want to trade for him, you just trade for him, you lose the draft. Pick,
0: but
1: yeah. that happens, that happens.
0: Yeah, well, hey, and the Rams have got some good decisions to make, and the track record says, well, might as well just trust them. What's what the worst that could happen? So that's yeah. an interesting scenario there. Sean Payton could be coaching for the Rams, could be coaching for the Saints, could be a free agent next year. I do want to talk, Joe, about the NFC North game that was supposed to be a showdown and turned into a bloodbath. Packers won that game 38-25. to It really wasn't that close. Packers jumped out early. I saw a lot I wasn't expecting to see in this game—a uh, decisive Green Bay defensive performance. Rodgers, uh, you know, was banged up, played through it, and you know, the Minnesota Vikings decided they were going to do whatever they wanted on defense. So I thought you know some players going rogue was an interesting touch to Christmas Eve. Yeah, the
1: Vikings totally fell off after that great start they had. Uh, their defense completely fell apart. But you got to think, though, end of the season division rival uh, game—anything can happen. Aaron Rodgers is. One of the best quarterbacks in the league, so you know he was going to turn up in that game. Yeah, winning what is that? Five, six games in a row. Said they were going to run the table. So five straight. They might.
0: Yeah, one more to six, and the Vikings. It's funny, Joe. The last ten weeks of the season, after starting out five and zero, Browns are the worst team in football. No surprise. Now one and nine, but the Vikings are second at two and eight, two and eight in their last ten weeks, which is just insane, with how good their defense was playing early. They couldn't block anybody. The Packers have a pretty poor secondary, but the Vikings didn't have time to get the ball out to their receivers. Thielen, though, actually had himself a great game. A lot of that, though, was chasing at the end. But this comes back down to Aaron Rodgers, man. He's still my pick for MVP at this moment in time, leading the league in touchdowns with 36 passes on the season. You just got to trust this guy in key moments to deliver, and he did it again, Jordy Nelson. Team TD record, I think this was just a phenomenal performance by a team that I have no doubts they're going to win that division next week against the Lions.
1: Yeah, I mean, (laughs) Rodgers is just unbelievable. I mean, I don't know if you can give him MVP if you're looking at other quarterbacks in the league, like Dak Hmm. coming in and doing that, or running back Zeke. One of those two guys has to get MVP based off of how bad that team was last year. Rodgers is always that team is always up there, but the Cowboys, haven't, we haven't seen them be
0: this good in a little bit. I'd go Rodgers just because I think it is wide open. I think if he wins next week, runs off six games, gets the division, could even put their hat in the race for a two-seed, I mean, Jesus, they were four and six, you know, and now they're in this position. But, you know, I'm with you, and I think, too, that the MVP award, Joe, it might be more than just football. Maybe they do rate it on things like, you know, talking to your family. I don't know. I don't vote on the award. <laughs> I got I to gotta throw that in there. I mean, come on. But, you know, the Packers are a very dangerous team, and depending on what happens in tonight's game with the Lions and the Cowboys, I think we could be looking at a very big week, the final game of the season in primetime, Packers and Lions. I do want to ask you, Joe Cristalli on the Money Mitch Effect, before I let you go, about the playoff picture. You know, we hit pretty much the most important games of the week, but the AFC, it's locked in. Dolphins and Texans have clinched their spots and are rounding out the field, Joe. These two teams, first with the Dolphins, Matt Moore is going to quarterback a team in the playoffs, but the big story there, the big story on this team now is Ajayi. I mean, that guy is unbelievable. Where exactly did this boom come from? And as a football fan, did you see it coming yourself? I
1: absolutely did not see it coming. The uh, Dolphins' uh, offensive line deserves a lot of credit. They've Kept Tannehill safe for the most season aside from him getting hurt. And Jay Ajayi is who he is because of that offensive line. You have to give them a lot of the credit because who they have in there before? Arian Foster. Because yeah. this season, everyone thought Arian Foster was going to come in and be the guiding light for the Dolphins' offense. And it turns out that Jay Ajayi, their fourth or fifth round pick from last year, who is always seems to be hurt, runs off. Three or, they three or four 200-yard games in one season last week, gets 32 carries for 206 yards and just completely runs all over the Bills and guarantees them a spot in the playoffs. But if you're facing the Dolphins in the playoffs, that's what your game plan is, shut down Johnny mm-hmm. and force Matt Moore to throw the ball. Because we haven't seen Matt Moore do that. Like much at all, aside from when he threw four TDs against the Jets. But let's be honest, that's the Jets, and they're probably aside <laughs> from the Browns, one of the worst teams in, the
0: foot, in, uh, in football. So yeah, you know, I was waiting for you to say that too. I think we haven't seen Matt Moore throw against a team that's actually competent. He hasn't had to do that, and that's going to be the true test. But with the Jai, with a highly p- priced defense that's playing well-ish, I mean, they're they're vulnerable, but they play. They show some flashes of being dominant I think the way the playoff picture is you don't know I mean they're probably you know we're looking at Dolphins Steelers rematch in Pittsburgh and that could be one heck of a game the Texans man I think this is a team where I do like the move Savage over Osweiler Osweiler was as bad of a quarterback as I'd seen in a very long time but I don't know what he has Joe I mean I think it's too early to say that he's going to be much of anything at the quarterback position. I don't know how if Lamar Miller's hurt, this team could have any chance of making any sort of run in the playoffs.
1: Yeah, I don't think that they can make any kind of run as far as who
0: they have. It just doesn't, like, the talent just doesn't seem to be there. And I know they're winning some close games, but that division is awful. They're, they're getting to play the Jaguars and Colts twice a year. I mean, it, it helps. It helps to have those games. I just can't see it. I think we're going to we might see a rematch of, or a replay of last year, I should say, when the Chiefs come to town and just bury them into the sand. Could be the case. They
1: shouldn't even if that's the game,
0: they should just replay the game from last year. <laughs> just kind of air try it. Just air last year's game on TV. Just air last year's game and then that's it. So we don't have to watch it again. Oh man, that's a good idea. So you, that's a good idea. I think you should present that to some of your superiors about re-airing the game. <laughs> Everyone could just have the day off and <laughs> just not have to worry about it. just get that team out of the way. So it's, it might
1: even be worse.
0: Yeah, it could be. That's a scary thought. The Chiefs look better. The Texans don't look as dominant on defense as they did last year. Could be worse. And then finally, Joe on the NFC side, we're looking at it from an interesting standpoint. But who do you think is going to get that six seed in the NFC playoff picture? The Redskins won. If they win again, they should be in a pretty good position, but this Lions-Packers thing could thwart their plans as well.
2: Well, if the
1: Lions lose tonight and they lose next week to the Packers, they're out if the Redskins win next week. So, I don't know. If the Lions can take it home against the Cowboys, then I I think you have to give it to them. but uh, I don't see them being the Packers next week, but that would be my pick.
0: Yeah, and I, think, I I actually like Washington the way it's breaking down because if Detroit loses tonight, which I expect them to, I could be wrong by the time this airs.
1: More benchings
0: or <laughs> resting, you never know. Yeah, could be. But then you look at Packers, they could be on the outside. We're talking about how good they are. If Detroit wins, wins again, and the Redskins win next week, the Packers could be on the outside. So it's, it's a lot up for grabs. I think Washington's offense... I think they just, for whatever reason, can't win at home on Monday night ever in like the history of their franchise. But th- I think they can get the job done. I think they're a team that I would say is, is dangerous enough to, to make it there. And Detroit, Stafford's injury, and that's what I look at. What's the hand like? I mean, you see it as much as I do, Joe. I just don't know if he can be as dominant as pure a passer when he's dealing with the injury.
1: He seems to be okay going through it, but just thinking about having a brace on your finger while you're trying to throw a football sounds...
0: In itself, Yeah, well, we continue to look and watch football and monitor how these guys are doing, and I think Stafford's shown he's a gamer. He's willing to play through the pain, but everyone's human, and I think that's part of it. They can't run the football. Their defense is, efficiency-wise, one of the worst in the league. I think that's shocking to some, but if you watch the games, you see that Detroit has issues. Will they be able to make the playoffs and and hold the fourth down? Who knows? But before I let you go, Joe... Is this almost all for naught, especially in the AFC? Should we just pencil the Patriots into the Super Bowl with how well they're coached and how well Brady's playing?
1: At this point, I, I don't know. It's Brady or Alex Smith, Chiefs-Patriots. One of those two teams will be in the Super Bowl, I'm sure. If I mean, you can say Patriots if you're, if you're a betting man.
0: Yeah, I so. think that's going to be a good game. I want to see that played this year with the with the weapons that the Chiefs have now. But the Steelers might have something to say about it as well. While Joe Crisali, thanks for joining the Money Mitch Effect, talking football. And, uh, yeah, I think we'll, like the only other thing we have to kind of discuss and, and figure out, Joe, is if the uh, Brandon Marshall-Sheldon Richardson fight is going to happen. And then is that going to be you know, an actual fist fight that we can broadcast on TV? Yeah, well,
1: they should, might as well get Dick and Polly in there. You teach him how to throw a left hook or two.
0: <laughs> yeah. I know. I know you're a Broncos and a Jets fan. It's You've had better years, I think it's safe to say.
1: Yeah, it's
0: been a, it's been a tough one. All right, Joe. Well, thanks again. Appreciate you coming on. Hope the holidays were good. And, uh, yeah, we'll have to do this again sometime soon before the Super Bowl.
1: Yeah, man. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on.
0: Always a good time talking to Joe Crisali, he knows his stuff, he he provides a nice insight that mixes analysis with humor. Hey, Hugh Jackson, the best is yet to come, so we'll see where we go. It Could be the start of something special with the Browns. Thanks again to Joe for coming on the Money Mitch Effect. Alright, now it's time to talk to Jose Youngs, he's an MMA writer for Sports Illustrated, and he's going to be at UFC 207 this Friday, Ronda Rousey taking on Amanda Nunez for the Women's Bantamweight title. There's a big card at stake. Dominic Cruz is going to defend his Bantamweight title. It's going to be a great pay-per-view. We'll preview all of that, as well as talk Brock Lesnar's suspension, Conor McGregor's future, and what the future of the sport will hold in 2017. Some big fights, some big super fights on the horizon. Here's Jose Youngs on the Money Mitchell. All right, now joining the Money Mitch Effect, returning guest now officially, Jose Young, is an SI UFC MMA writer. Jose, thanks for rejoining the show. Hi, I'm
2: happy to be here, Bob. Thanks for having me on again.
0: When Jose comes on, that means something big in the world of mixed martial arts is happening, and that's where we're at now. Christmas just passed, but on December 30th is UFC 207 from the T-Mobile Arena, the new team, new-ish T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. Headlined by the return of Ronda Rousey as she takes on Amanda Nunez for belt, and we'll get to the we'll get to the fight card in its entirety uh, toward the end of this interview. But Jose, what does it mean to you Rousey's return to the octagon? And kind of to add to that, were you ever worried or thinking that she might not come back after how she went out?
2: I knew she would return. Uh, she's been a competitor her whole life. But I think it was more of a question of when, not if. I knew it was going to be a long time. I, I expected her to take at least a year off. Which got kicked in the skull. Mm-hmm. Uh, she did have three fights in nine months, and I don't care who you are, that's a rock even for Ronda Rousey. For what it means, I mean, she wins the most dominant female fighter of all time. Uh, she was running through people, beating them in less than 30 seconds, so the fanfare is there. You definitely hear more buzz about this from the casual fans. It's always good because uh, MMA deserves to be broken into the mainstream, so I'm happy she's back. whether How you feel about her, positively or negatively, uh, she definitely has left an impact on the entire sport, and it is good to have athletes like that back
0: in the world of MMA. Right, it does bring eyeballs. We mentioned it with McGregor, with Lesnar, with John Jones. Those are, are big names that draw in the casual fan. And I'm with you. I think this is you know, the second, maybe the final act of, of Rousey's career. I'm intrigued to see what it's going to look like. She was that dominant, just otherworldly fighter. What that will mean now, having fallen back to earth, having taken some time off, fighting a really game opponent. So... Like I said, we're going to talk about that all uh, in a bit. I just wanted to get your initial reaction to uh, her return. We do have some housekeeping, though. It is the end of 2016, and I want to get your thoughts on a couple things in the world of mixed martial arts. First thing I want to talk to you about, Jose, is we finally got a verdict on the Brock Lesnar suspension, a $250,000 fine uh, for two failed drug tests he was forced to give back you know, about 10% of his purse. The fight with Mark Hunt is ruled now a no contest. With this closure, what can we say as a recap to what happened with Western suspension and if there is a possibility of him fighting again in the UFC? I mean,
2: none of it is a surprise. I mean, as soon as he got popped, I was expecting 10%, one-year suspension. If he ever fights again, he can fight in July. So that's only, what, seven months away? So mm-hmm. he fought in July, he'll fight against July. It is what it is. I fully expect it. I don't know if he'll ever fight again, especially because it like 20 million dollars just to show up in the WWE, and he's a, he is a mercenary. They call him. He considers it a job, not really what he enjoys to do. So it is exactly what I expected. In terms of like, it might hurt the casual audience, but it's not like he came and dominated. He's not going to win the heavyweight championship anymore.
0: Right. Uh, it's
2: kind of more of that big draw. So he'll headline the big events like the international fight weeks, or maybe if the New Year's Eve card. But I don't think it impacts form MMA that much. Whether
0: Brock Lesnar fights, fights again or not, the heavyweight division is going to keep rolling off. Right, and 39 years old, he's no spring chicken. I think that yeah. also plays a part. And, and one last thing on that, I, I for one, I've got to feel a little bit for Mark Hunt, and I know, I know you do as well. This is a guy that's had some tough losses and some tough uh, set of circumstances involving his opponents and some failed drug tests.
2: Yeah, and he wants, uh, he's going to fight Alistair Overeem next, either UFC 208 or 209. I can't remember off the top of my head. And he wanted it in his contract, like something to do with drug testing. He was holding out for that fight. I know he wanted all of Lesnar's purse. He didn't get it. Mark Hunt obviously thinks Brock Lesnar's suspension is uh, is, is not enough. A lot of people tend to agree. And If anybody can be upset, it is Mark Hunt, especially because he did fight Frank Baird. He did fight Duke Silva, and he did fight Brock Lesnar. All got popped and. He's not a happy camper, uh, but he's going to play Alistair over him. I don't know whether or not he did get that, that wording in his contract about drug testing, but he was definitely the most, most outspoken fighter on the UFC roster in terms of penalties and what he desired to happen to people who popped him. Um, but, yeah, it is a shame for him. You, you, you have to wonder what his record would be. If you, uh, for the casual fans, look at his record. It's not that stellar, but the people who appreciate fighting Mark Hunt definitely of the best ever. You
0: definitely have to wonder what his record would look like if more people are getting caught. Absolutely, he seems like one of the good guys in the sport. You hate to see this happen, but as you said, Absolutely. a lot of fights, a lot of fights coming up. He's got a chance here to roll off some wins if he can get it together. But we'll have to see. Still talking with Jose Youngs on the Money Mitch Effect. UFC 207 this Friday, I believe. Yes, this 30th December. Absolutely, 30th. yeah. They never <laughs> had fights on New Year's Eve. The last time I believe, UFC
2: 141 which was 2011, and that was Lesnar
0: over him on December 30th. Yep. Right. I do remember that fight. Yeah, that was. that was. It's interesting to have a fight fr- on Friday, but you can't have yep. it on New Year's Eve. And right before we get into that, I want to talk to you about the guy that we ended last time you were on the show, the podcast, with, and that's Conor McGregor. He had won now two, two titles in two different weight classes, forced to give up one of those titles. But we'll start from the perspective of going forward, Jose. What does 2017 look like for McGregor? I know he's going to take some time off, but if you had to guess what his next fight is, what would that be?
2: I definitely think he's going to fight Khabib Nurmagomedov. It is interesting you ask that because the UFC's owner, Ari Emanuel, Dana White, actually flew to Russia to, to talk a lot of logistics with whether oh. uh, the UFC can hold an the in Russia. Habib is is a huge star over there. The UFC has yet to break in to that marketplace. I think they have a star in Habib. He's young, he's outspoken, he's... He knows English, so he can connect with the American audience, he talks trash, he's undefeated, he's just a very charismatic Russian fighter who can also speak English. He wants to fight Conor, he just beat Michael Johnson on UFC 205 pretty handily, and he was talking to Dana White between rounds, saying, I'm gonna crush your boy, in reference to Conor McGregor. And that was during the fight, wow. he would look over Dana White. From what I hear, uh, the UFC might want to match him up against Tony Ferguson to the interim title because Conor McGregor is taking so much time off. That might be UFC 209, 208. The winner of that will fight Connor, Whether it's Habib or Tony Ferguson, I don't really care. Both of those fights are spectacular. But if I, if I had to put money on, if they don't fight, I would say Habib Just because the UFC desperately wants to break into the Russian market. And if, if they do, Nurmagomedov is the one to do it with.
0: I'm excited you said Nurmagomedov. I was really, really hoping it would be the <laughs> case. And it's like you said, the guy is like a rock star in Russia. He's cocky, he's brash, and he's a perfect foil to McGregor. And his last fight on the prelims, uh, he, he was just a monster. So, and I have to yeah, ask he's this amazing. though, yeah, and I have to ask this though, McGregor is does have a great following, but if that fight's in Russia, what's that atmosphere going to look like?
2: Ah, uh, that's going to be dangerous for him. I'm, I think Conor's going to love it. I mean, he flew down to Brazil to uh, hold a Q and A, and he <laughs> before the Jose Aldo tremendous fight. He, he did the press conference in Brazil before his Jose Aldo fight was supposed to be at UC-189 in the summer, and that was about as hostile a crowd as you can get. And Conor McGregor sat back in his chair and soaked in, and he loved every second of it. Rush is a little different. Russia's a little scarier, obviously. Habib will respond with trash. On like Jose Aldo, was, didn't really talk trash, and Habib is not one to back down from anyone. I mean, that, if anybody watched, it, where's that big white hat into the ring? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got a lot of people think it's a wing, but it's actually a Russian war hat that they wear before battle. So if you want to know how serious Habib
0: is, that, that'll that tell you right there. Well, I'm excited for that potential fight. Also, for the trilogy to conclude with Diaz McGregor's had a great 2016. He's going to be a very busy man when we get into 2017 after his time off. And also, I want to ask you quickly about the featherweight division, the other division that he was the champion in that he gave up the belt for. What do we make of that division? How will that get cleared up now that McGregor is not a part in the picture? Well, Aldo got bumped up to...
2: Aldo was the interim title champ, uh, champion uh, when he beat Frank at UFC 200. He got promoted to the undisputed champion, and Max Holloway just fought Anthony Pettis a few weeks ago for the new interim featherweight title. That's a whole mess. It's just nonsense right there. Uh, Max Holloway finished Anthony Pettis in the third round uh, to become the new UFC's interim featherweight champion, and him and Aldo were supposed to fight for the title unification bout. February and years to two away, but that Holloway's ankle has healed enough. It's pretty massive and swollen from injury in that fight. So, from what I hear, Aldo said he'll fight, he'll take the fight in March, maybe April. But for in terms of Featherweight division title picture, it's definitely going to be Holloway versus Aldo for the undisputed title unification bout, title
0: versus title. We're looking forward to that one as well. Aldo's been waiting in the wings. That's He's a barn a, burner. He wanted McGregor, but this is nice to get Holloway. And I think it's going to be one heck of a fight as well.
2: That's probably in terms of just skill versus skill, Holloway versus Aldo. It's about as competitive as you can make in the UFC, let
0: alone the featherweight division. Oh yeah, I can't wait for that as well. But now it is time, UFC 207, to talk with Jose Youngs on the Money Mitch Effect, SI writer for the UFC as well as other MMA stuff. And Jose, this is an interesting fight, but... The first bout that I want to talk about is one that's not going to happen. And the news broke earlier this week that Verdum and Vasquez is not going to fight because Kane was deemed unfit to fight by the board. Right. I'm stu- I mean, It's been a while since we've had something like this so close to a fight. What's your take on the timing of this announcement and just how bad Kane's situation is?
2: Well, it's an interesting time because, like you said, it hadn't happened for a while, but it actually happened at USC 205 when we shot Evans was supposed to fight Tim Kennedy in New York in November. And the New York State Athletic Commission actually deemed Rashad Evans uh, unable to compete, like, days before the event. And that was the New York really stepped up and didn't allow him to fight. And I think because New York did that, a lot of spotlight was shown on the Athletic Commission. So a lot of Athletic Commission aren't going to allow these fighters to compete like they did in the past. And Kane did give an interview and said that uh, his back still hurt that he actually has surgery already lined up for after the fight. It's to the point where if he stands for 10 minutes, his life starts to shake <laughs> and buckle from the pain. And if you can't stand for 10 minutes, I don't know how you can fight for twenty for 15 minutes against a former heavyweight champion, one of the biggest fight cards of the year. So uh, I think rightfully so. The Nevada athletic commission determined Kane was unfit to compete because, like I said, if you can't stand for 10 minutes just standing still, I think that's the definition of, yeah,
0: unfit to fight another human being. Yeah, and especially in the current climate, we're seeing more care given to athletes in general. Exactly. You add that to the fact that UFC has never never been in a bigger spotlight. It's never been better. It's never been booming the way it's been. So I think there's more of a spotlight on them now to do the right thing. And I'm glad. I know it's, as as, a fa- as fans, we're kind of upset short-term, but this is the long-term right thing to see. Uh, this Yeah, it sucks for place. the fans, but I'm
2: glad because I do want last versus Purdue fight when
0: they're 100%. That's so, what everyone deserves. So now this division, this was ultimately looked at to be sort of a contender's match. What happens now yeah. with Stipe Maiocha just waiting to defend his title at some point?
2: Honestly, you could just make the immediate fight against Purdue, just give Purdue the title fight, because he was the one ready to go. Obviously, Josh Barnett is out there. Uh, ben Rappo is going to come back over. Oh, He's going to fight Mark Hunt. Uh, junior Dos Santos is going to fight Stipe. If Junior wins, he, are, he does. Junior beat for Doom in 90 seconds, back in 2008, 2009, I believe. So you, if Junior beats Stipe, which I assume he will, then you can make uh, Junior versus uh, Stipe for the title, especially because Junior is also the last man to beat Stipe in a very hard 25-minute fight where a lot of people actually think Stipe won. Out of that, that fight, I thought Stipe won, but a lot of people also thought Junior won. So if, if there's one fighter that Stipe wants to fight, it's definitely Ju- uh, Junior Dos Santos because he wants oh. to get that, that loss back that's just a great
0: fight again. And would you also say too, just to kind of expand on this, this is as, as deep as, a, as the heavyweight division has been in my opinion, I can't remember having this many contenders at the top. Would you agree with that?
2: Oh yeah, 100%, and uh, it, it's a great champion to have. He's young, he's, he's a firefighter, he's, a, he's an excellent ambassador to the sport, family man, he's just a very nice human being, and he also just happens to be the best heavyweight in the world, so yes, in terms of the heavyweight division, this is about as competitive and exciting as it's been. They did have that run in like 2008, 2009 with Frank Meir and Brock Lesnar and Shane Carr where were just throwing heavy bombs at each other. But in terms of depth, this is definitely the most exciting it's been in a
0: long time. Okay, well, I'm, in, I'm agreeing with you there, too. I think it's great, and I think Stipe at the top, ready to fight. It could be hard for him to keep retaining his title, but we know how good he is, so that could be the case. Well, with that fight not being on the main card, a flyweight fight has moved up to take that spot. So the first car, fight on the main card is going to be Lewis Smoka versus Ray Borg. Now, admittedly, so I don't know a whole lot about this division. Right. But what? Yeah, I'm I'm honest about it. But you look at at how this has moved up from the prelims. This is an opportunity for two guys in this division to, you know, make a big impact on the national stage. What do you think going into this fight is going to be the key for these two guys?
2: Well, Ray Borg is an interesting fighter because his wrestling isn't that great, but he's in Incredible off his back, so even if you take him down and you're working through his guard, you're not going to be, you're not going to do much because he's so active off his back that you. I'd rather stand and trade with him than try and take him down. So Ray Borg is the truth. He's very exciting. Likes to talk a lot. Uh, excited by Louis Lou who's on a, a huge win streak, knocking people out, submitting people. Definitely one of the brighter rising stars. Uh, I expect Louis Smoke to win. He's going to come back angry, but that isn't a very important fight for the a very shallow flyweight so division.
0: Important fight. Well, it's, it's an opportunity. I think both those guys are ready to go and and I'm agreeing with you. I think for this division this is as important a fight as it gets. The next fight we have to talk about the Walter White fight between Dong Young Kim and Tariq Safedin. Now reading up on these guys Jose, you get the sense that this is almost in that must-win scenario where they're facing right. off and trying to be a top 10 guy and their careers haven't quite gone the way they would have liked do you think Kim, who has a, a very good judo background, is the favorite going into this fight, or do you see it going the other direction?
2: It should be Damian Kim. I mean, he's definitely one of the more underrated and underappreciated welterweights of the world. If you look at his record, you'd assume he's just beating people left and right. Mm-hmm. But he does have a history of getting injured. It seems every time he fights a guy, that'll get him over the hump. Alters, like when he fought Damian Maia, when he fought Carlos Condon, he's, and when he fought Tyron Woodley. So... Those three guys I mentioned are three of the top five best welterweights on the planet. And he's beating everyone else. So, Dong Young's team is definitely very, very underappreciated, especially if you look at his record and his skill set. Uh, he's definitely grown. He went from a very boring fighter to a pretty exciting fighter, and the Asian market definitely banded around him. Terry Saffin too, he was a former Strike Force champion. He was actually the champion coming into the UFC, and he cannot stay healthy. Mm. Uh, whenever you think he's finally over the hump, he gets injured and he's out for another year. This fight happened two, three years ago. I'd say he should win, especially because he has such an exciting, striking style. But Dong Kim, I think has grown more. He's been more active lately. And if, when Dong Kim is more active in a fight, then uh, in the last few years, that's a problem.
0: Well, I expect Dong Kim to win, for sure. Do you think there's anything that Kim could do? You mentioned some of the best players fighters in the world at welterweight that he's lost to is there any way that he could figure out a way to beat those guys or is he plateaued as to what i think he
2: he got into the he found this thing where he knocked out two guys back to back Mm -hmm. uh knocked out eric in spectacular fashion knocked out john hathaway in one of the most spectacular fashion and he thought he could knock anyone out and then he tried that entire woodley and it failed so he has to go back to the drawing board he just has to go back to what made him great because if he can do that he can beat
0: anyone well, yeah, I think, I think that's something we'll have to see, too, because this is a guy that has uh, the skills and has the track record. But, you know, let's see, this is it. This is the first of a couple of fights he has to start reeling off, and we'll, we'll monitor that. So talk with Jose Young's On The Money Mitch Effect, next fight on UFC 207's car. That we're going to talk about the bantamweight fight between TJ Dillashaw and John Lineker. I'm actually really intrigued by this one, Jose, because Dillashaw, at just 13-3, and three, is an interesting cat to figure out. And he is a former weight champ. I do, you know, I'm studying up on him. Jose, I, I watched the fight where he beat Renan Breo and one of the most bloodiest beatdowns I think I've ever seen. But this is an interesting one. I don't know much about Lineker. He's 29-7. He's and 7. It's been an odd career. He's not cutting weight anymore. He's no longer trying to be a flyweight. Do you think he's got the game to beat Dillashaw, or is Dillashaw too much here? Well,
2: Lineker is harder than almost anyone below 115. He was a flyaway, but he kept missing weight. Jones up to 135, still missed weight. So until he hits 135, I'm not ready to call him a title contender because he hasn't you know, improved. He can make the weight in two fights in a row. Dillashaw should win. He is the former champion. He did beat Hannah Burrell in two of the most dominant beatdowns I've ever seen uh, when he won the belt at UC 157, and when he beat him at UFC on Fox in Chicago in July. He is the better fighter. A lot of people think he actually beat Dominic Cruz in Boston last year. He lost the belt. I think he is the best fighter, not named Dominic Cruz, at 135 pounds. But if, if Lineker can beat TJ Dillashaw, it proves that he can hang with the with the guys who can avoid his death uh, of a right hook and his uppercut, and he can take damage like no one else. You watch that Francisco Rivera fight. He got punched clean on the jaw at least four times in a row, and he still knocked his opponent out. So, John Lineker is the truth. He, he's definitely an excited fighter, but again, he needs to make weight, but at the end of the day, I think T.J. Dillashaw is the best bantamweight in the world, not named Dominick Cruz, and I really want to see them run that back because T.J. Dillashaw should be fighting for the belt, not who we're going to talk about later on, but <laughs> yeah. I think T.J. Dillashaw already ha- should deserve the title fight right now, and this fight is just another another speed bump that he's going to have to go through to get his rematch
0: with Cruz. He lost that fight to Cruz by split decision, and reading up on Dillashaw, too, with all due respect to Lineker, the thing that everyone raised about Jose is his cardio. Are, are you on that same right. train that he's just as good as anyone cardio-wise as there is in the octagon? Dillashaw?
2: Yeah, Dillashaw is, he is moving all the time. He trains in Denver in that high altitude of that state-of-the-art team elevation. gym. So, yeah, outside of the champion, T.J. Dillashaw could play 12, probably by 20 rounds in a row and be good to go. And He has an excellent striking coach in Dwayne Bang Ludwig. So, in terms of just a perfect fighter, T.J. Dillashaw is definitely off the he grew from a simple wrestler, because he entered the UFC as a wrestler. So he had the wrestling, and then he just all of a sudden became one of the best strikers on the planet. So T.J. Dillashaw is unbelievable. And T.J. Dillashaw versus Cruz in terms of just skill, martial arts versus martial arts, that is about as high level as you can get in terms of mindset, footwork, striking, grappling. That is about as even a fight as you can make that fight needs to happen.
0: I want to see it too, and I think it is only a matter of time before we see it for that Bantamweight belt, which, coincidentally enough, enough Jose, is being defended on this card. The next fight to talk about Dominic Cruz, the champion, a 22-1 takes on undefeated 10-0 Cody Garbrandt. Alright, there's a lot to talk about with this fight, and you kind of let into it at first. A lot of people, including yourself, are saying Garbrandt doesn't deserve this shot. Why do you think that's the case? Why, do you, why don't you think he deserves to be in this position?
2: Well, I think he, like, he deserves it. I just think he might have been bumped a little.
0: Mm-hmm. He,
2: should, he could be fighting in, a, in, a, in another year. He should be fighting for the belt. But he talks a good game. He's charismatic. He dresses well. He's a handsome guy. so He definitely draws <laughs> attention from, the, from those, those casual fans. And he, he, like when, when Cruz fought Dillashaw, Dillashaw didn't really exchange the trash talk that Cruz wanted to. And Cody Garbrandt does, and that's what Dominic Cruz needs. He needs a rival that can match yeah. him mentally and skill wise. So he definitely deserves it. But Dominic Cruz wins. Dominic Cruz is the greatest bantamweight of all time. I don't see anyone taking that belt away from him. Not named T.J. Dillashaw. So Dominic Cruz should win this. Yeah, Cody Garbrandt hits like a Mack truck and can knock anyone out, but he can knock out. which yeah. Dominic Cruz does have the record for the least amount of strikes absorbed in his USC career. Wow. Uh, definitely one of the better defensive fighters in terms of head movement and footwork. So, Dominic Cruz should win. I just think Cody Garbrand might not be ready at this point in his career. But they should, they'll, they'll fight again. Uh, Doc, Cody Garbrand very young, very new in, in this game. And it's only a matter of time before they lock horns again.
0: You know, I just wonder, too, Jose, if this is more along the lines of. Uh almost like a, a professional wrestling storyline where it's Cruz versus the team alpha male team like he wants to just gut out the entire roster and Garbrandt taking advantage of the fact that Cruz has had success against his guys Uriah Faber at the top of the list obviously the owner of team alpha male but I'm with you I don't know that he's ready yet and Cruz is as good a trash talker in any sport as I've seen just so cerebral with what he says and you know dropping the lines of I've got houses they to your team Talking about Garbrandt. Cody
2: Garbrandt's only gone the distance once, now it's three rounds. Dominic Cruz goes five rounds almost every single fight. So the question out there about Cody Garbrandt's cardio is is definitely there. So like I said, if he can touch Dominic Cruz on the chin once, it might be a short night for Dominic Cruz. But at the same time, Cody Garbrandt's going to have a real hard time making that happen.
0: And I guess the only other thing to ask, and I know it's more playing devil's advocate, I don't think Garbrandt's going to win, but at some point, Cruz who hasn't lost since 2007, Jose. He's battled injuries. He's overcome more than any UFC fighter probably ever. Do you think that will eventually catch up to him? If not now, maybe down the road?
2: I think most fighters it would, but Dominick Cruz is the most mentally strong fighter I have ever come across. When he tore his ACL for the second time, he said the question was not will I come back, it's let's get working now. When he tore his Uh groin after that, his first question was, when can I start training again? So, most fighters, yeah, it would take a toll. But Dominic Cruz is the most mentally strong fighter I have ever come across. And when he gets injured, there's no question in his mind. It's not. if you would have asked him, oh, when he tore his ACL, it's like, will you fight again? It's not. He's not. It's not. Will I fight again? It's uh. when am I going to get my belt back? So <laughs> that just shows what kind of fighter he is. So yeah, it's not going to. I don't think it'll play a factor in his mind.
0: And he got his belt back too. He backed it up. And and as you said too, we talked You're about dead. this before. Probably the best announcer, and probably the best commentator that oh, we yeah, have as a absolutely. UFC fighter. He's my favorite, for sure. All right, well, Jose Young's on the Money Mitch effect. It's time for the final fight on this card, co made event with this bantamweight fight, but it is the women's bantamweight title Ronda Rousey versus Amanda Nunez. And we mentioned Rousey a little bit off the top. I want to start the preview, Jose, with Nunez. She's 13 and 4. She's been a little inconsistent in her career, but absolutely dominant in winning the belt from Misha Tate. Should we expect that to continue in this fight and beyond, for Nunez to be dominant, to be more consistent? Or do you think those old bad habits will rear their ugly head?
2: It's tough, because Amanda Nunez, even when she loses, she's winning at the beginning of the fight. Like She was dominating Casagano in the first round. That, could, that was a 10-8 round. She had full mouth Casagano and was raining blows on her skull gonna survived. Man Nunes blew her gas tank. Her next fight, she beat Sarah McMahon. She submitted her. And then she fought Misha Tate and she crushed her in the first round. But if Misha Tate had just survived maybe another round and a half, then the question of whether that cardio with, with KK was, is, is there. Rousey is also a very strong starter, another strong starter. Mm-hmm. Uh, she stubs all her opponents really fast and she uses their aggressiveness for fans where she just toss them on their head and submit them. You saw Holly Holm not play the aggressive She was back on her heels she she baited Ronda to come to her and she took advantage of it. Amanda Nunes isn't like that. She goes forward with heavy bombs and tries to take you down and mount you. If she tries to do that against Rousey, it might not work in her favor. So these are two very strong stars. Amanda Nunes likes to push the pace forward, and Ronda likes to use that against her opponent. So if Ronda's a out of the question, this is just an intriguing fight stylistically.
0: Yeah, I'm also intrigued to see, like you said, Nunez and Rousey like to start fast and start aggressive. From Rousey's perspective, Jose, and she hasn't fought in a while, as someone that follows the sport from a technical perspective as yourself, what's maybe the one thing that you want to see from her early to let you know that she's back to being that good fighter? What's something early in the fight that you'd like to see her do?
2: I want to see her be able to throw a jab without looking like she's never thrown a jab before. I mean, and that might sound mean, but, like, a lot of people who know a lot more about striking than me look at Ronda Rousey's shadow boxing, and they go, what is she doing? And, yeah, it can it can work when your opponent is a worse striker than you, but when you're fighting Holly Holm, who spent her entire career striking in, in her boxing career, and fighting Amanda Nunes, who's trained in American Topsy, one of the best striking teams in the world, when you compare them, Ronda Rousey's striking is very... Very average. Yeah, she has a you judo know, submission game, but if she can't get that, that takedown, it's gonna be a long night for her. I want to see, I want to see more. I want to see, be able to, to put a game plan together, and put some combinations together, and not just come out and look for the takedown. I want to see her actually get in a fight. And if she can take a few punches and walk through them and keep her composure, then, then we'll know Ronda's back. But until then, she's not doing any media before the fight, which is weird. So we can't ask. We can't ask her. She's not doing any open workouts. She's not doing any press conferences. She's just going to show up and fight. So maybe that's good for her. Maybe she needed to clear her head. But until she takes, we see her physically take a punch from Amanda Nunez, I don't know. If the question is out there. But she is the greatest women's fighter ever. So obviously, taking Ronda Rousey to
0: win a fight is not out of the question. If you know what I mean. Oh yeah, and and I, I think too, getting into the actual prediction of this fight, Jose, I, I was. A fan of what Rousey was doing at her dominant peak self. I have to wonder though, going into this fight, if we're ever going to see that version of Ronda again, if being the ultimate, being the best in the world is still at the top of her pecking order with all the stuff she's doing outside the ring. And I have to say too, looking at it from another perspective, any sport there is. Becoming champion is one thing, but now she's got to go back and chase the belt again. I don't know. I'm leaning, actually, Nunez on this fight. I'm not sure where your head is, but that's just kind of where I'm thinking right now.
2: Yeah, I don't, I don't think I'm going to have a prediction for this fight until the door closes. I mean, it's that tight. Well, I'm like, I picked Holly Holm to beat Ronda, but I was picking Ronda the entire time until the stare down when Ronda kind of lost her mind. Oh. Yelled at Holly Holm, like, oh, Ronda's head's not in the right place, and then Holly ended up winning. We haven't seen much of Ronda, and she's very angry. I mean, she has a list of people who who pretty much dra- dragged her name through the mud after she lost. Amanda Nunez obviously tossed some trash. A lot of the other women tossed some passion. Uh Angry Ronda Rousey is a very scary fighter. When she's fighting with a chip on her shoulder, she didn't have anything to prove against hope. She didn't have anything to prove against special Hey, she just went out there trying to try dominate. When Ronda Rousey has a reason to fight angry and a reason to prove a point, that's scary. And I don't, We haven't seen that ever, so this is a whole new different fighter than we've ever seen before, so... This could be a, a short night for Amanda Nunes, that's
0: for sure. Well, you know, that's the thing. This fight is very unpredictable, and, and that's a good strategy. I think I called my hand a little too early waiting until that door closes, because you just don't know what's going to what's gonna happen, how it's going to be, and what kind of state of the mind both these fighters are going to be in.
2: Exactly, and Amanda is a very strong-minded person, too. Ron is obviously a, strong, a strong-willed a person, because she did come back. I mean, she didn't have to come back. She doesn't need to fight anymore. She's the greatest women's fighter ever. She had the belt, she lost it. Like, if she never fought again, she'd still be the greatest fighter
0: ever. But she came back, good for her, and I'm excited. Absolutely. Well, Jose Youngs, thanks for joining the Money Mitch Effect. And uh, I believe, are you going to be there at UFC 207? 100%. I leave Wednesday. Wow, I'm excited for you there. You're going to have to, you know, fill us in, fill me in on uh, everything that goes down. I know it's a uh, oh, team over arena, too, and I know you're excited to be there.
2: Oh, yeah, 100%. And, uh, We'll have to do this again after the
0: fight, and we'll, we'll talk about the history we saw. No, absolutely. Well, Jose, safe travels, and thanks again for coming on the show. Appreciate it.
2: Thanks, boss. Anytime.
0: Big thanks to both Joe Crisali and Jose Youngs for coming on The Money Mitch Effect and breaking down their respective sports. One more week of the NFL week 17. We're going to talk about that later this week on the show. We're going to also do part two of our college football bowl preview. We're going to bring back Bradford Bruns for that. Bowl season is in full, full beast mode, and I am doing awful on my picks. Hopefully that turns around. And we will also be recapping UFC 207. We're going to expand on what Jose said. I think a lot of those predictions are going to ring true, but there's a lot that's going to happen in the UFC world as well as NBA, NHL storylines and tennis, Australian Open starts next month only a few short weeks away thanks again for listening to the Money Mitch Effect which can be found on iTunes, Google Play and SoundCloud, remember to follow me on Twitter, Money Mitch M21 for sports takes and other celebrity gossip just kidding, I don't really gossip, but you know some other takes in the entertainment world as well Thanks for listening. Hope you have a great New Year's if I don't hear from you again. Thanks for listening. Money Mitch Effects signing off. Keep watching sports, throw the funds at people.